It's time for the Fantasy Points Podcast, brought to you by FantasyPoints.com. Top-level fantasy football and NFL betting analysis from every perspective and angle, from numbers to the film room, with a single goal to help you score more fantasy points. everyone and welcome into the take talk podcast my name is steven o'rourke and this week i am back with my usual co-host brett whitefield brett how you doing this morning i'm doing good steve i'm returning from a five-day golf trip aka a vacation it wasn't really a vacation because we played seven rounds of golf in five days that's a lot of golf that is so much how'd you play and how are you feel how are you are you sore this week are you feeling yeah, it in your oh, shoulders? Was, yeah, shoulder. My right shoulder's torched. Like my hands going numb every night when I sleep. Oh god. Uh, yeah, which which is nice, but uh, yeah, I played okay. So it's the tournament's cool. It's sixteen guys. It's a it's a yearly invitational. the The winner each year gets to pick next year's destination. So like we were in Grand, the west side of the state, this year because the winner from last year is from Grand Rapids. So. Anyways, it's a it's a cool tournament because it's handicap adjusted. Well, there's actually two tournaments. There's a, a Ryder Cup format, which is team play. Nice. My team won the Ryder Cup, which is cool. So that, that I got paid money for that. And then the 16 man Invitational is handicap adjusted scores. So handicap adjusted, I took fifth place, which was worse than I did last year. But um, what's cool though is like there's cash prizes for all kinds of things. Like every par three during the tournament has a closest to the pin. Oh um, sweet! All, all the par fives have a longest drive. Um, you also there's also we get cash payments for skins on each hole. So handicap adjusted best score in each hole. So I won a couple closest to the pins, a lo- couple longest drives, and like four skins. So I actually made more money than the trip cost me, which is crazy because the amount of golf we played and the courses we were playing at was nuts. See, that's huge. That that's yeah. a successful trip right there. Exactly. Who cares how sore you? Who cares how sore you are? The fact is, you you're up. You're up. You you yeah. went on vacation. You came back and, uh, and you're up. And you didn't even go to Vegas. Right, right. I know. And then we also played. We speaking of Vegas, we played poker pretty much every night. So this trip was exhausting, Steve, because you're up late every night. You got early tea times. We did, we did 36 holes multiple times in one day. So the, it, it was an exhausting trip. But I won poker two nights two out of the four nights that we played and i i cashed the two other nights so all that's in all awesome. it was a very profitable trip yeah that's awesome that's it's a huge win fun for a week so yeah oh yeah, well was- welcome back we missed you thank you we held down the fort while you were gone yeah. Yeah, um so i actually on twitter there's this thing that was going around yesterday and it was um so I don't even know who this person is. I, I looked into it. It was like some writer for the Babylon Bee. But she basically had posed the question like, I don't understand why men are so into sports, which got me thinking, what can you remember the moment that made you fall in love with football or the NFL specifically? Oh, man. Yeah. I, I remember the moment. I also want to take a stab at answering her question, but uh, <laughs> uh, but I do remember the moment. So growing up, um, I, I grew up – so living in Detroit, like hockey – we're a, a hockey town. The lines are pretty much miserable, although in the early 90s, the lines were actually pretty good. Yeah. Um, but despite that, like my dad is a big-time hockey player. Um, so I, I was like really into the Red Wings growing up. 
kind of into the Pistons too because we were coming off. So they did their first back to back when I was like three years old. So yeah, we were you know we were a basketball town too. So I really I grew up loving the Red Wings and the Pistons, and football was kind of off my radar until, gosh, I think I was ten years old. My dad had always played in fantasy football leagues. Back then, you calculated everything by hand. Yeah, uh, with newspaper headlines. So, which is funny. So, I think in 1997, um, my dad asked me. So we did like a father and son league, like when I was really little. But like, you know, I was so little, I didn't ever have a say in anything. It was just like I went to the draft with my dad, and yeah, and then oh, well, cool, dad, we got some good players that I've never heard of. So that's great. <laughs> uh, finally, when like 1997, my dad asked me. Um, hey, Brett, you want your own team this year? And I was like, really? My own team? Yeah. Big moment. That's that's great. So I drafted my first. So because I was drafting my first team, I had to do all this research and watch football. And I I freaking loved it. I, that's when I fell in love with it. it was because of fantasy football. My first year, I'd never played football on a team yet at that point. Didn't play. You know, I didn't play like well, they start like flag football, like six years old. Never played in any flag leagues. Never right. played in the uh, you know, peewee football leagues. Oh, wow. Years old, okay. trapped, trapped in my first fantasy team. And then from there on out, I was addicted to football. Yeah, I can remember mine too. I remember, I don't know why or where, but my dad had gotten this VHS tape from a friend of his. And it was probably like, it was early 2000s. I was probably seven or eight years old. It was like probably like 2001, 2002. My dad had gotten a VHS from a friend of his. And it was like just this VHS of Barry Sanders highlights. Oh, man. And so like this is right pretty fresh after he retired. And yeah. my dad was like, all right. He like got it. And he like sat me down. He's like, all right, we're going to watch this. He's like, we like, you know, I would I didn't remember like really seeing Barry Sanders play live. I was like five, five years old in his last season. So he sat me down and I remember watching that that video and I was like, I want to watch whatever this is. I want to watch, yeah, whatever this is, whatever this sport is forever. And then like, yeah, from there, I mean, from there it took off. Cause then that was right around probably like the year before I started playing like peewee football in third grade and things like that. So I can just remember it was Barry Sanders that was the catalyst for it all for me. That's awesome. Yeah. Barry, like. Barry, that's story's true for a lot of people our age, Steve. Like Barry Sanders. Oh, yeah. I mean, even when I wasn't into football, I remember watching him because we still watched like every game. I just didn't, I didn't follow the league, kind of only right. followed, you know. So, but I remember just watching Barry as a kid and just, you know, knowing that that dude is a total badass. So, right. Yeah. And then fantasy football, I can remember that like whenever ESPN started doing leagues, I was probably, you know, nine, 10 years old at that point. I would just, I probably was in because I had a lot of free time as a kid. I was probably in like eight to 10 leagues as a 10 year old. Yeah. I would just yeah. join a bunch of free leagues with whoever. And I would just yeah, I remember doing that. play. That was, yes, that was yeah, all I would do. Go in the draft lobby and just let it rip. Oh yeah. Just let it go. Just see yep. what you do. So that's, this, this should have been a good segue, but we're going to talk about news first, but you brought up Barry Sanders. We are talking about running back units today, but we'll, we'll get to that it works out because I like the thing I'm going to end with for OTAs is going to is going to also lead into running back. So I feel I, I felt good about how I wanted to segue that as well. Nice. But nice. just a couple new just I just wanted the way I want to do this is just like, are you buying or selling these headlines for these couple teams? 
which, you know, obviously it's all a lot of hyperbole, a lot of like, you know, gassing guys up and whatnot, but still, I want to be like, sell, 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 but maybe there will be one that you're like, you know what? I actually like that. So I have just a couple of a couple things that like popped out, um, from the past like week or so, like with the 49ers in camp, you hear a lot about, you've been hearing a lot about Debo being back in shape, things like that. But a lot, like when you, I read a, um, a lot of these things I pulled from the athletic and guys observations and stuff like that. But the 49ers, uh, Lenore, their cornerback came out and said that, and all the coaches have said that Ayuk has been balling out. And Lenore was quoted saying that he will be a top five receiver this year. And he's the best receiver in San Fran by yourself. Uh, I'll buy it. I will buy that one. Ayuk yeah. has been one of the most underrated receivers in the league for a couple of years. He plays on a run-heavy team with bad quarterback play. The dude is an absolute monster, though. Uh, he was one of my favorite prospects in his draft class. Always been a big lover. I know he was in the doghouse, what, his rookie year, but uh, or maybe that was actually his second year he got in the doghouse somehow. But, yeah, I'm, I'm a huge Ayuk fan, so I think the dude's a monster. I think he has I a agree. more complete skill set than Debo as well. So I don't think the claim that he's the best receiver on San Fran is that crazy. I think that's actually probably legit. Yeah, and I mean, I think arguably we talk about, you know, Debo's after the catch ability and run ability and all, all that. I think Ayuk is actually a better after the catch guy than uh, Debo is, in my opinion. And that might be a hot take, but. Ooh, that is kind of hot takey. I think I, I think Ayuk has juice after the catch that we don't get to see a ton but I think they might hopefully they'll incorporate it a little bit more this year. Well, what's nice is you can follow them to all season long with the fantasy points data tool that's dropping in a couple of weeks. You can compare their their routes run, their from their alignment, any any split you really want to see, you'll be able to look at it. What coverage is they best? How many missed tackles they're forcing, etc. Anything. Anything. All right, moving to the windy city, the Bears, DJ Moore is obviously playing really well this year. Everybody's raving about him. Um, do you think DJ Moore puts Justin Fields over 3,000 yards for the first time in his career? Dude, that's such a low bar. It <laughs> is, but it's a bar. Yeah, I, I, of course I'm buying that. I think Fields probably does that without DJ Moore, to be honest with you. It's just a natural progression. You have to be like – really bad to be a starting quarterback for three years in a row and knock over 3,000 yards in today's NFL with 17 games. It's just not – I just didn't think it was going to happen anyway. So DJ Moore, yeah. He'll have at least 1,000 of that himself. You know, it's like I, I totally buy it. Do you think DJ Moore goes over 1,000 this year? I do. That was You do? Yeah. Yeah. All right. I, I don't know. I, I think it will be close. I think it's going to be real close. Yeah, that's fair. Close. I, I I think close too. I think I'm just taking the over on the close. I'll go under, and we'll keep track. Of, we'll keep track of that throughout the year. All right, all right. And then we have many friends of the show that love that love this guy, and so I feel like we're doing it again this year. But do you think Sky Moore plays a pivotal role? Like, do you think he gets a lot of playing time in Kansas City? He's been showing out in OTAs. A lot of people have been raving about him. Do you think he starts for Kansas City? Do you think he sees significant playing time this year compared to last year? I think he should get on the field more, for sure. 
the I guess the the thing for me is I I don't really know yet where Kansas City sees his role, and I feel like he's in competition with MVS in the as that role. Yeah, the downfield guy. Um, it, it, when you just look at the rest of the receiving core, you know, you have Kadarius Tony, who has a very specific niche, maybe, maybe more plays some of that spot too. Um, cause it seems like they, at least at the end of last year, they didn't really integrate Tony into the offense very well. So maybe, uh, you know, Tony has a very specific skill set though. He's similar to Debo in a lot of ways where, you know, you want to get him on in breakers and outbreakers and manufactured touches, but you're not like, he's not really running routes with nuance. He's not a downfield threat, at least yet at this point in his career. So, yeah, I I think he has a specific role. I think Rasheed Rice is going to play in the slot for them. I don't know where Sky Moore goes from there. He's got to compete with MVS, and like I said, maybe he plays a little bit on Tony in Tony's spot there. But um, he should play more this year. I just more should play more. I just don't know how much. I'm not willing to commit to anything extravagant as far as he goes. Would you buy him? Would you buy a fifty percent snap rate? Sure. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, obviously, he had his issues last year with just integrating himself into the offense. It seemed like Andy Reid didn't really fall in love with him as much as people were hoping. So it'll be interesting to see this year if he's kind of pushed that a little bit. Yeah. Lack of detail in his route running, I think, kind of separated him from the rest of the group. Um, You saw it in that playoff game. Mahomes was clearly frustrated with him. They just couldn't get on the same page as far as. You know where where more is supposed to be, and a little, and Mahomes is really, you know, he's a stickler about that stuff. So, yeah, a lot more than I think people kind of realize. Like yeah. the best, like Brady was a huge was. I mean, everybody knows that was a huge proponent of like be there on time, and I think that you see Mahomes create a lot that I don't think people realize how important that is to yeah. him too as well. Yeah. So. I forget what coach it was I heard, but one of the best ways to play out of structure is to is it sounds crazy, but it's like it's really it's easier to improvise when you kind of plan really well. Yeah. So everyone's where they're supposed to be doing what they're supposed to be doing and, and fulfilling their roles. It, that it improvisation becomes easier and easier. A lot of people think impro- improvisation is when plays start to break down. Well, sometimes it's like. It, it's a comfort thing. It's like a it's a gelling thing. And if you, and if the quarterback and the receiver aren't isn't gelling, Mahomes is going to be shy about trying to improvise because he doesn't trust that you're going to end up where you're supposed to be. Right. So I think it's it's easier to be unplanned when you plan really well. I know it sounds funny, but right. The best play the best way to play out of structure is to have is to have really good structure. Exactly. Yep. Um, Washington. Sam Howell has been reported as the QB one. Is he? Do you buy him being QB one come week one? Yeah, sure. I think he's a really talented guy. I really, I his tape evaluation for me was really strong coming out. Like I, I was really hot on him early. I thought, you know, initially I had him as a first round pick. The more people I talked to, the more I realized there was like some some leadership and care not character issues, but um, personality issues there. So my, my, I've only backed off Sam because of that. And then obviously he falls in the draft. Not really sure why. Um, but, yeah, I, I think he's a super talented guy. So I can definitely see him being QB1. The thing that's crazy, though, is Jacoby Brissett's not bad. So right. 
Howell beats him out one to one. That's actually a really good sign for Howell, in my opinion, because Brissett's a veteran quarterback who's played well in like multiple cities right now. Uh, I mean, like last year, he was better than Deshaun Watson, like way yeah, better. For all intents and purposes, purposes, he played very well in Cleveland. I mean, yeah. they they had a few defensive lapses that their season could have been completely different, and like not yep. really any of it was a lot of on Brissett's shoulders. He played, he did what he had to do. And the, yep. if you go, if you like, if you go and look at the advanced statistics, which you'll be able to do using the fantasy points data tool, you'll be able to look at all of last year and kind of gauge where people are at. You'll see that you know he was teetering at least in like the top twelve to fifteen quarterbacks in the NFL. Yeah, and the thing about the Howell discussion too is like, does Howell actually need to outplay him through camp to win the job? Probably not, because like it's all about upside, right? And ceiling, and like we know what Brissett is, so you can make the argument that Howell's ceiling is higher just because it's unknown, right? So you could see a coach leaning into that a little bit to like try to get the most out of the situation where Brissett's a fine backup. He's used to being a backup. It's like you're not going to hurt his feelings if Howell wins the job, and then you know say he sucks, and then by week seven it's back to Brissett. I don't know. I, right. I think Howell has an advantage for that reason though because he's younger. I agree. Um, so this will kind of segue into our our thing for the our running back rankings. But uh, there's been a lot. I mean, Delvin Cook getting cut, the whole Saquon Barkley uh, contract situation. We do you think that next season? Because I don't. It's not happening this year. Next season, do we see a reset in the running back market? And with that, do you think that Saquon Barkley sits out this year? No. Saquon doesn't sit out this year. Well, he's going to be like the third highest paid running back. There's no way he's sitting that out. I know, uh, but there's the whole – there's have, the, there. He just doesn't have any leverage, you know? I know, and that's the issue. And, again, like with Dalvin Cook, I mean, he's, it's, it's June 15th, and he's still sitting on the open market. And you haven't really heard any news about him. Well, so two things with Dalvin. So one, the, the transaction didn't actually process till like Saturday morning or something, the release of him. Right. So he's really only been a free agent for a few days. I think with the medicals there and with Dalvin being at the stage of the career he is, I think he's going to be picky about where he goes. And I think the teams that want him are going to be picky too because of the medicals. So it's like a it's a double picky situation where I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't sign anywhere for, for a little bit. He's going to take his time, and he should. This is going to be his last, you know, hurrah. So, well, not he's not that old, but you know what I mean. Like, I know, he probably you like, it feels like he's been around for a long time, but then you look, he's 26. Well, you know, a lot of these guys are getting close to aging out from that draft class. McCaffrey, Aaron Jones, Joe Mixon, Alvin Kamara. They were all in the same class. So, yeah, I mean, that, that class is aged it's crazy they came and gone they came and went so fast yeah they they came in they blew up the league they took basically took over fantasy rankings for what the last 5 years yep and with that just because we're on running backs let's dive into our run, our running back rankings actually real quick i don't yeah. mean to i don't mean to stop you from doing your job but dalvin cook i where do you think he should go I I got one spot that I think he would just be an absolute monster in. 
still at this point of his career. I and mean, I would pay money to see it. Everybody loves Miami. Yeah, I don't like that for him. I mean, he'd be fine there, but they don't need him. So, right. They've Denver's got Jeff Wilson. They've got Raheem Mostert. Denver. Was he Denver? Especially with Javante, it's being. I knew, I knew we were getting fool's gold with him. By the way, it sounds like Javante's not right yet. So yeah. Um. Dalvin Cook with Sean Payton, in like the Alvin Kamara role, would just be disgusting. Kamara, or I'm sorry, Cook is such an underrated receiver too. He's yeah. so explosive. Even yeah. still, so explosive. I would just, I would love to see it, man. So, especially it, if he's actually healthy, they're saying he's he's the healthiest he's been in years. So, yeah, he. I think I agree. Like the minute you said Denver, it is like pairing him with Peyton. Peyton knows how to utilize his running backs in different facets in a way that a lot, like not a lot of coaches are the best at. Sometimes when they realize that when they have a really good athlete in at running back. And I think Peyton is one of the few that has deployed those guys in in very useful roles throughout his career. Yep. I will say this because we're about to talk about our top 10 running back units. If any of the teams not currently in my top 10 sign Delvin Cook, they will be they will end up in my top 10 because I still think Delvin Cook is that good. So I think that's fair. I mean, if, if you went to Denver, Denver would probably like even with you know, Williams kind of being not in the best shape, even if he came back halfway through the year or even, yeah. you know, like that still, like they'd probably be a top. I'd probably put him in the top three. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. Uh, D- Dallas would be another nice spot for Dalvin. I mean, that would be such an upgrade from Zeke. And then, then it's, you know, one of the biggest things with Dallas last year was you put Zeke out there, you put Pollard out there, you kind of, it was somewhat of a tell in ways with that. It completely neutralizes that aspect of it. It's just that McCarthy's calling the plays. So I'm still not, I'm True. lower on the Dallas offense this year than I want, than I would like to be because McCarthy calling plays is nerve wracking. That's fair. All right, let's dive right in then, Steve. Let's go. Let's go with the, uh... Throw out your number one unit. How about that? Number one for me was San Francisco. Oh, me too. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. You have Christian McCaffrey who can still do it all, still has still has the pop in his game, both in receiving and running, and then you have Elijah Mitchell behind him. I mean, you, you don't even really need to go much further than those two. You like you get into Tyrion Davis Price and Jordan Mason, but I mean, Elijah Mitchell and Christian McCaffrey, that's about as good a duo as you can get right there. TDP was a third-round pick last year, so like it's not like they, they view him, obviously, in high regard, so he just missed the whole year with an injury. But, um, yeah, McCaffrey's still the best running back in football. I guess we should lay out some criteria here, too. So unlike most positions, I don't, I don't factor rookies in very strongly, but running back is one position I do because rookies yep. – I mean, running backs are at their best on their rookie contracts. That's just – the way it is yeah it's one position where it doesn't matter if you're a 21 year old rookie or not you can come in and, and dominate at your position so i i've you know considered rookies in high regard if i like them also backups still play a little bit but i was also looking for diverse skill sets like affecting the pass game is very important to me so i definitely accounted for that very yep. highly in my rankings yep 
But yeah, McCaffrey's the best back in football still. So they get the number one nod there. And Mitchell's no slouch as a backup. That dude, especially in that scheme, he's he's tailor made for that scheme. So um, I think I think they're the easy first choice. Yeah, they're a great one two punch. All right, who's, who's your two? My two, I I toiled with this a little bit, but I ended up going with Green Bay. Ooh. I still think I, I still like the combo of Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon. I think Aaron Jones still has a lot of utility as a receiver and as a runner. AJ Dillon is useful in the role that he plays. Um and I just think that you'll see like they had one of the best running games in the NFL last year. And I think that getting Aaron Rodgers out of there and maybe letting the offense breathe a little bit. I think that that could be helpful for Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon this year. And I think that you'll see them be up near the top in rushing rankings. And I think that Aaron Jones will be hopefully utilized a little bit more in the past game this year. Yeah. So they're, they're my number three unit. So we are, pretty close there i agree with you i mean jones is still one of the best backs in the league he's very underrated um he affects the pass game at a high level as well which is important for me but i really really like how jones and dylan complement each other these two this is like a yin and yang combination yes in fact if you look at fantasy points data you'll see that aaron jones ranked first in the entire nfl in outside carries last year and yardage on outside carries Yep. Fifth in explosive run rate. AJ Dillon, on the other hand, 65% of his yards came in the A or B gap as a runner. So, like, very good compliment. Jones is a, a monster on outside runs, and, you know, Dillon's really good in that inside zone or gap scheme. Some power in there as well, but he's, you know, v- very effective. Dillon's efficiency metrics aren't nearly as good as Aaron Jones, actually. But when right. I kind of took into the data, what I saw was Dillon, on average, is getting way heavier box counts. He typically typically comes in with heavier personnel groups, and he had like almost twenty percent more of his carries had eight, nine, ten, or eleven man boxes than Aaron Jones's did. So that's a pretty significant disadvantage so it's hard to be super efficient when you're getting loaded boxes on every carry we saw this with david montgomery versus khalil herbert debate as well same thing here with with montgomery so or um, same thing here with aj Dillon. (laughs) and with i mean you've seen it like it's it's similar to some of the other teams like the cowboys and things where it it is kind of a tell when aj Dillon is in the game you know he's he is more of their bully back but still he's effective at the job that he does and that's just playing bully ball. I just would like to see if he could get a little bit better at breaking anything a little bit longer. I mean, 36% of his rushes went over five yards and just 8.1% of his rushes went over 10 yards. Yeah. So there's, I mean, there's just little to no explosiveness with him. Um. All right, throw out your. Well, no, your, who's, your, who's your number two? Yeah, yeah. So my two is the Detroit Lions, Steve. All right, I had them at six. You had them at six. Okay, so Detroit for me. Two, two really important things. One, they have a, a phenomenal pass protector in there, in David Montgomery, and two, 
to have a phenomenal pass catcher in there and Jameer Gibbs. Both guys are very good runners as well. Um, I'm, I've always been higher on Montgomery than most. In fact, if I look at my all-time RB scores, my, so Montgomery's, I've been doing this since uh, the 2015 class. Montgomery's got the 19th highest score for me ever for a running back. Jameer wow. Gibbs is the fifth highest score for me ever for a running back. Wow. Both these guys I've liked. I think Montgomery has been underrated in Chicago. He's played behind a terrible offensive line. Um, he played next to Khalil Herbert in Chicago the last couple of years, who's been radically efficient. Um, I've pointed out on Twitter why that efficiency is so much better than Montgomery's. Like there, there are some variables in there that that point to really good causation. Mm-hmm. So I don't think Herbert is like this far and away better player than Montgomery. I think Montgomery is actually a stud. I think you're going to see how good he is behind the Detroit Lions offensive line. So that said, I really like Montgomery, and I, I obviously loved Gibbs. He's the fifth high, fifth best running back I've ever scouted in almost 10 years of doing this. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I just think they have a dynamite one-two punch, maybe the best one-two punch in the league. Um, you know, I, I think Jones and Dylan gets the nod right now, but I think maybe by the end of the year we're talking about Gibbs and Montgomery as the best one-two combo. Yeah, I don't think that's anywhere outside the realm of possibility. I think that David Montgomery, you're going to see. I mean, you've if you if anybody's paid attention to what's kind of come out of the Detroit Lions, like OTAs and minicamp and whatnot, is that Ben Johnson has kind of gone on the record and said that while the run game, like they were pleased with the run game last year, he still felt like they left a lot of meat on the bone, and I think you you kind of saw that with you know, some of the runs that Jamal Williams had, he doesn't have, you know, the shiftiness, the explosiveness that Montgomery will bring. And then Swift, he was sometimes hesitant as a runner. And I think that they think that the, that both of these guys are an upgrade over their predecessor and the guy that was in there before. And that you can see this unit take like this run game, take a a step even further. Yeah. I agree. This year. Totally agree. Uh, who's your third? The third, I put the Tennessee Titans. Ooh. I still think Derek, like until Derrick Henry shows that he's starting to fall off, I still really like Derrick Henry. I worry about their offensive line this year. Obviously, like their offense in general is not the not going to be amazing, not going to be that explosive, I don't think. But still, I really like Derrick Henry. And I think that Ty J Spears, while there's some injury concerns and there's, you know, some issues with it being what bone on bone in his knee. So that could limit him. I still think he's a very effective player. I still think he can help that pass game quite a bit. He can be a useful player out of the backfield for them. And so I think that like, again, this could be a, a good one, two punch of Ty J Spears is, is the elusive back that he kind of showed he can be in college. Yeah. I have the Titans at, let's see, eight. Um, So I agree they're top 10. For me, like, I really like Henry. I think he's a phenomenal player. My issue is he just doesn't do anything for you in the pass game outside of the occasional screen he takes for 80 yards. (laughs) He's He's good for one of those every, like, three or four weeks. Yeah. Yep. Then everything else is just kind of, Meh. So that's that's my main issue there. Like I, 
I really value the pass game stuff a lot. So I would say of all the the run heavy only type of guys, he's definitely the highest. Uh yeah, looking at my list right now. Yeah. So um I toyed with I toyed with moving them up a little bit because I do think he's such a good runner, but ultimately I left him at eight. And the other team I was going to put in at eight ahead of him was the other good runner that doesn't do anything in the past game. That's Nick Chubb and the Cleveland Browns. I left them out of my top 10, but um, that was the, that was who I considered at eight instead of the Titans. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. I mean, Brown, we'll see what Tajay Spears does too. Cause he has some pass game ability. So if he can, if he can compliment Henry, if they, if they're committed to like, making that a little bit more of a timeshare than we've seen the past few years in Tennessee, then I think that could actually really help this unit be more effective. So, and I think that's, uh, that's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. Cause I, I think mean, that would have running back to high else otherwise. Right. Right. So, yep. Plus, so I, I mean, I think the understanding is that the clock is ticking on Derek Henry now. Yep. Is this, you know, their view is that I and, and like, I hope that they, utilize that in using uh, Spears more to give Derrick Henry more life and give him more runway for this year and going forward. For sure. All right. My three was Green Bay. Who was your number three? My number three was Titans around number four. No, your number. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Who's your number four? Number four, I went with Atlanta. They are also my four. Yeah. It's... Bijan Robin, like this is one of the, the one of the backfields that they have Bijan and Cordero Patterson still and who's still there, and you know they it's and and they have Algier as well, like the yep. three deep with guys that all well, you know Patterson and Algier produced have produced before, but Bijan Robinson is you know he's expected to come in and ex- explode, and I don't see a reason why he won't. I think he's an incredible player. I think he can hopefully take this offense to another level. I think that his utilization in the past game is going to be super important as a runner. He's very explosive. He's, he's got good vision. He's effective. I think that overall, like the Falcons run game could be in, really like insane this year. And then just the, like utilizing their running backs in different positions in the past game can be super helpful too. What like their run game, and then you're also adding like Ritter into the mix as a runner as well. Their their run game could be disgusting, or yeah. should be disgusting. Yeah, um, yeah, I agree. So Bijan, I don't really need to talk about him. I've talked about him at nauseum across all the fantasy <laughs> point podcasts. Uh, so I'll leave that one off. Uh, Patterson, obviously good, good in the past game. Also kind of bullish between the tackles. Algiers a good rundown guy. Um, people are going to ask why the Falcons behind Detroit. Um, basically it comes down to this. I like Montgomery more than Patterson and Algier to the extent that I like the gap between Montgomery and those two guys to me versus Bijan and Gibbs is significant. So that's why I went Detroit ahead. I just think Detroit's one, two punch is better in totality, but I do think Bijan's obviously the best player of that bunch. Yeah. Atlanta, Atlanta's run game should possibly break records this year, but um, all right, who – so your fifth was Detroit, you said? I It was six, but I'm I'm changing it on the fly. I'm moving them up to five. Okay, so you're 
the choice of your five. So my five, Steve, is the Seattle Seahawks. Okay, I had them at seven. Okay. Um, still, we're no misses here yet. <laughs> we're all on the same page. This is funny. Um, I'm sure we'll get when we get down to the bottom of the list. We'll you know we'll have some differences here, but yeah, uh, Seattle for me. So Kenneth Walker the third was my number one running back last year. Um, over Brees Hall, loved him. Zach Charbonnet was my number three running back this year. I think both those guys are exceptionally good players. They do different things really well. Walker's an explosive monster. Um, you know he can take a. a a run looking like it's going to go negative yards for 70 on any play. Charbonnet is more of your consistent every down grinder. Charbonnet is also pretty good at the pass game, really good pass protector. He's got soft hands for a big guy. And then they like they low-key fill out their depth chart with pretty effective guys. DJ Dallas has a role in the pass game. And Kenny McIntosh, one of my favorite pass catchers in this year's draft. And I love that they grabbed him with a late-round pick just to make sure that this team, because it is their identity. Like running the ball is what Pete Carroll wants to do. And they're just making yeah. sure that they're never going to have a running back shortage again, like they did last year. Uh, and McIntosh gives them significant depth as a third down back slash speed, speedy guy who can, you know, maybe hit some outside run, zone runs as well. So um, I, I really like the way this depth chart rounds out. I just, it's solid top to bottom with two really good playmakers at the top. Yeah. And if you see, I think we will see uh, Kenneth Walker take a step in. You know, last year he was a huge boomer bust runner. Like, I think his stuff rate was at, you know, like a pretty crazy, like 60%. And his explosive run rate was at seven and a half percent. Like it was, it it felt like he was either getting stopped at the line or he was, you know, going for five plus yards. And I think that this year, I I think you'll see a, a step up just in, the evolution of their offensive line. They have a lot of young guys that are, you know, a year, a year older, a year better. I think that you'll see him start to break off some, break off more runs this year and less of the stuff rate this year than with, um, than he did last year. Yep. Um, yeah, that boomer bust stuff with Walker was definitely problematic. <laughs> uh, 55.3% of his runs got stuffed. Yeah which uh, is not great, but he also had like a top eight explosive run percentage and had yeah. 481 of his yards on explosive runs. Very boomer bust. Some of that had to do with Seattle's interior offensive line. Just blocking was not great, but some of that was also on Walker. He routinely would try to spill runs to the outside when he didn't really need to. Um, I think co- a little bit of coaching is going to help him a lot, but obviously Charbonnet is going to help too because he's more of that every down kind of grinder type. So. Yeah, like you said, maybe and potentially getting Charbonnet, which I think that's what you know what's that what they wanted with Penny early in the year before he got hurt is you know have Kenneth Walker similar to you know Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon have Kenneth Walker be your outside outside runner have you know Charbonnet be your inside pounder a little bit. Yep. All right, throw out your number six. Number six, I went with the New York Giants. And okay. that's, that's this is our first big discrepancy. And it's just that I think that Saquon is still one of the best backs in the NFL. And I think that, you know, he showed what he can do. He's, he was healthy last year. He played really well. 
him plus really Daniel Jones is probably their second second best runner. Brita has some usefulness here and there, but like I think that Saquon his his utilization in the pass game and what he can do in the run game, I think is you know he's a top tier running back by himself, and I think that that that's an, it was enough to put them in my, in the top ten for me. Gotcha. Um, I did not have them in the top ten. Mostly because I Saquon just doesn't. I think he's a little overrated, to be quite honest. Uh, I don't think he is what he was when he was younger. Like his force miss tackle rate dropped off a cliff this year. His yards after contact dropped off a cliff. Stuff rate was insane. I mean, actually similar numbers to Kenneth Walker. Um, you know, stuff rate versus explosive rate. So little boomer bust there and just the consistent down in down out stuff. I I didn't like some things I saw on tape. I thought he was reverting back to you know, bouncing those runs outside like he was at Penn State. Um, I know the the Giants offensive line needed to be improved, and they did make those improvements, so we'll see if he bounces back. And then my big problem with them is just after him, I don't like anybody on that. I don't like Breida. I don't like Brightwell. Eric Gray's fine. He's a six-round rookie. We'll see what happens there. But um, just the lack of depth behind Barkley, who, you know, probably had his worst season as a pro from an efficiency standpoint. Yeah. I just I couldn't get on board with the top ten. They'd be close though. You know, they'd probably you know, if we did the next five, they'd definitely be in there. But Yeah. Yeah, then that's that's fair. It was it was a debate for me, but I like I said, I think that with the improvements they've made on the offensive line and I think just the evolution of one more year in the offense, I think that Saquon Barkley is gonna have a better a better year from the efficiency metrics and then probably, you know, a better year overall of overall stats as well. Yeah, that's fair. Um, all right. My six was the Jacksonville Jaguars. Okay, um, I did I did not have them in the top ten. So there you go. There you go. Um Yeah, so Etienne another one of these boomer bust kind of guys, <laughs> ironically. Yeah. Uh, I do think he's a pretty good player though. He had moments last year where he just looked like an absolute stud. Um, obviously wasn't consistent enough. They felt the same way. They went out and drafted Tank Bigsby, who is one of my favorites in this class. I think those two complement each other really well. I think Bigsby can do things in the pass game that Etienne can't, which is really going to help balance him. He's also a really, really good runner. So uh, with some some good bursts, some good home run hitting ability as well, I think these two together form a really, really solid duo here. And it's like it's legit depth to me. They also brought in... Um, Jamichael Hay- or they have Jamichael Hazy from last year. They brought in the dude yep. from from Cleveland, though, right? Um, Dearness Johnson. Yes. Yeah. So Dearness Johnson, another guy who's just underrated. When people say things like running backs don't matter or you don't have to draft a running back high, that's why it's because guys like him exist. You find him undrafted and he ends up being a really good player. I think he's underrated. Snoop Connor had moments last year where he looked de- decent. Just think they have a really good depth chart and two two guys at the top that are pretty darn good. So that is why I went Jacksonville six. Um, so you had Seattle what seven? Yeah, uh, you had Seattle. Seven. Yep. And then so my seven was the the Chargers. Okay, I had them at nine. Okay, this was tough for me, similar to like the deal with the Giants and Saquon. Yep. Uh, they just they don't have any any depth. Like Josh Kelly's obviously not very good. Isaiah Spiller did nothing as a rookie last year. Roundtree's nothing. 
Yeah. I just think Austin Eckler's damn good. <laughs> yeah. He's still he's still really good. Not as much as a runner, but he's so good in the pass game. Um I, I just I do really like Austin Eckler as a player. So um I, I like I would rank him ahead of Saquon head to head, which is probably the only reason he gets in the they get in the top ten here versus the Giants. So which that's fair. I have I would have Saquon ahead of Austin Eckler. Just be, just because of his running ability, I think that he's a little bit a step below in the past game overall, just because of what how, like how good Eckler is at you know basically using checkdowns as an extension of the run game. Uh, but I think Barkley as a runner put him ahead, but put him a little bit ahead. Yeah, that's that is fair. Um, all right, who was your eight? Number eight, I. Went with the Philadelphia Eagles. Nice. I have the Eagles uh, at nine. I think that they, you know, they don't have the, you know, top tier talent necessarily that like a lot that some of these other teams in the, our top 10 have, but they have someone to play every role and they have someone who's good at those roles too. DeAndre Swift out of the, out of the backfield as a pass catcher. He is good. He's useful. I, you know, if we if he ever takes a step in his mental fortitude of overcoming injuries, like he could, I don't know if it'll ever happen, but he really could explode as a runner and as a pass catcher and just playing an entire season. You know, you'd love to see the production there. Um, Rashad Penny, again, a guy who his in between the tackles out, you know, outside the tackles run game is is really good. He's a very effective runner. He every time he plays for the first six weeks or whatever, he's always up at the top of the efficiency rankings and running for running backs. Uh, again, it comes down to health for him. And then you get down to Kenneth Gainwell and Boston Scott, who both again are pretty good re- receivers out of the backfield. And they both run the ball effectively. They don't do it a ton, but they do run it effectively. And then, you know, it's, it's just, a, it's a very good, they're playing behind one of the, or the best offensive line in the NFL, which helps, things a lot and so i think that just overall they've pieced together this backfield in a way where they don't have any holes of you're questioning yeah. where they're going to get this or where they're going to get this as this or that aspect out of their run game or in even the you know their running backs in the past game they have a guy to fill every role and i think that you know that's super useful and super helpful and it's great for what their offense wants to do i think that the, you know that miles sanders he was he's he was okay he played you know pretty well last year but i think that Swift and Penny would be are are an upgrade over what he was last year, and what he like, what his ceiling was. I think they offer a higher ceiling for the for the run game in the past game with those uh, running backs. Yeah, so I went on uh, Guru in the morning yesterday. Although he was absent, I was with John or uh, Paul Kelly and Adam Kaplan. They asked me about this backfield, and here's the thing: I could easily talk myself into giving these guys a top five rating. Yeah, because they're that. Good. I have them at nine for what it's worth. Um, because Swift and Penny are absolute freaking killers when healthy. Yeah, the big caveat there is when healthy. Huge caveat. So, <laughs> I had to drop them a little bit because of that. But man, when these guys are healthy, they're disgusting. Last year alone, Rashad Penny ranked second in explosive run rate, and he was first in yards after contact per carry. His missed tackles force rate is exceptionally high as well. DeAndre Swift was sixth sixth in explosive run rate, and uh, he was also top ten in yards after contact per carry two absolute monsters that do different things 
So Swift is going to be more of your outside runner. You can get him involved in some power, outside zone scheme, and then Penny's going to be the inside zone hammer where you're just de- deleting people off of that read option, yeah. <laughs> the stuff that uh, Jalen Hurts does. Both these guys can play a little – like Swift's really good in the pass game as a receiver. Penny's more of a pass protector. I like the balance there. And then, dude, what's crazy about this team is the depth is nuts, like you said. Yeah. Gainwell and Boston Scott are legitimately capable backs. Um, and they're like lesser versions of the guys they're backing up. Gainwell's a lesser version of Swift, and Scott's a lesser version of Penny. It's just kind of funny how that works, but just top to bottom, they've probably got the, I would say, maybe the deepest running back room in the league, uh, which is good because the two guys we talked about have health issues. So there could right. any given moment they might need one of those two guys to step up and be a legit part of the offense. So, But, man, if those guys stay healthy, this, this team is – the run game could be crazy good. So just once I'd like to see, I, and it'd be awesome if, you know, all the stars aligned, all the planets aligned and you got it both in the same season, but I, you know, everybody's been wanting to see Swift and Penny healthy for a whole season. I mean, yeah. it's been something we've all been begging for because we have seen them as these high upside guys who clearly have shown that they're very effective running the ball and, and, you know, Swift very effective out of the backfield. It's just, I really like the patience that Swift shows. I think that like, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch behind that Philadelphia offensive line. And just if you can, if they stay, God, you, not even the whole season, if you can get 12 to 14 games and those 12 to 14 games overlap, that like you're, we thought the Philadelphia Eagles offense was good last year and we thought their run game was good last year. This would take them to another level that I don't think anybody would be kind of prepared to see. I feel like it's been a not talked about point with their offense going into the season. Yep. Agreed. Um, all right. Throw out your 10 here. 10. Yeah. I toiled over this one a little bit. I, I'm going to go with the Browns. I Nick Chubbs, the bet probably the best peer runner in the NFL and has shown real no signs of slowing down and I don't know I guess I'm gonna kind of buy into the Jerome Ford hype that's coming out of camp and you know his usefulness and what he they think he can bring to the offense this year um it just yeah Nick Chubb is incredible and I think that they consistently underutilize him and I think that hopefully Jerome Ford can bring you know, another, just that one, two punch to that and, you know, keep them where they were when they had Kareem hunt. Yeah. Yeah. I don't disagree. I mean, I, Jerome Ford's a big time wild card to me. You know, I, I liked him coming out, but he's a fifth round pick and didn't really play as a rookie. So yeah, I kind of got to wait and see on him before yeah. I need to make any declarations as far as that goes. Um, but obviously Chubb is a baller. He just doesn't do much in the past game, Steve, which is pretty important to me. So, yeah. Um, my 10 was this might be a, a big surprise, but it was the Pittsburgh Steelers. I I did debate them there, them, them there. It was them, the Browns, and actually the Texans that I was looking at. So, the Steelers, so Najee Harris has been. We're gonna we're gotten to a point with Najee Harris slander where it's just out of control. Yeah. Like, only there's only one running back in the league that has forced more missed tackles than him the last two seasons, and that's Nick Chubb. One big difference is 
Najee Harris played through a Liz Frank injury last year. Yeah. I mean, he had a mangled foot the entire season and still was was snapping dudes off at the ankles pretty easily. Um, he can run with power. He's got insane agility for a guy his size. Um, and then one huge deal here, too, is he he can affect the pass game. He's a he's a legitimately yeah. receiver, especially for a big a big guy. Um, he's also really good in pass protection. This Pittsburgh offensive line has been really, really bad. And yes. They started to click towards the end of last year. If you look at Najee's splits toward the end of the last year when he started to get healthy, when that offensive line started to come together a little bit versus early in the year, it's night and day difference. He was actually better during that stretch than at any point during his rookie season. So and everyone thought coming out of his rookie year, he was phenomenal. So yeah, um, they go ahead and add Broderick Jones to the mix. They sign Isaac Sayamalu. They're, they're just improving this team, this offensive line. I mean, they've improved their offensive line dramatically. You can argue, I think we talked about it on the offensive line show, that you know it's either between them or Denver who's improved their offensive line the most this offseason. Yes. Pittsburgh is right in that mix. So Najee should have a – I think he's going to have a breakout season. I think he's going to be really, really good. And then we haven't even talked about Jalen Warren. Jalen Warren was outrageously good last year. Very <laughs> efficient. Ball. Yeah, insane efficiency metrics. Force missed tackles, yards after contact, explosive run rate, all of that pops. Um, he's got a little, little more juice. Like Harris is more of a, a powerful. You know, he's kind of like David Montgomery in a lot of ways. Like he's a powerful guy, good vision. You know, not always going to take the right gap. Where Jalen Warren's got a little bit more pop, a little more burst and explosiveness. Yeah, uh, I think they complement each other well. So I, these two together, with this improved offensive line, I think should be very, very good. And like you said, it's not talked about enough that he that Harris was playing through like you said playing through that injury last year I don't yeah. think people realize how painful that Liz Frank injury is yep not only painful it actually ends a lot of people's careers it, it did I mean pre you know like obviously medical advancement has taken us a long way but it was right up there for a while with like ACL injuries and stuff with like Mark what it Brown. Hollywood Brown is the first skill player to bounce back from a Liz Frank injury ever. <laughs> and now it's like yeah. it's become an ACL now, which is great. But the fact that he played through it when like five years ago it was a career killer is crazy to me. Yeah. And, yeah, and like you said, an insanely painful injury. You could see it early in the year too. Like he was he was struggling. Big time. And the Lions, bro. You're just like, why, <laughs> why is he playing right now? I mean, it got to the point where people were calling for his head and they wanted, you know, Warren to take over yeah. the bulk of the carries. Like you saw that, you saw that hype start to kind of take over a little bit. Yep. All right. That's our top 10. Do you have any other closing thoughts or teams you want to throw out there as like a watch this team, see what happens? Uh, the The only other team that we didn't mention that I just would keep an eye on, I think, is the Saints. If Alvin Kamara is healthy, uh, Jamal Williams is there as their, you know, pound like they're pounding the middle back. And then Kendry Miller, if he showed, proves to be effective as a rookie, that could be a pretty effective running back room. I, you know, I debated them a little bit, having them in my top 10. Ended up leaving them out just because I, just because I, like, I don't know how much I'm buying into Alvin Kamara. We haven't yeah. really seen it fully the last couple of years, but. You know, if he's as healthy as people think he is and, you know, Jamal Williams is good at what he does. And then I think if Kendry Miller, like I said, can 
kind of bounce off and be effective. Like that could be a room that could be, you know, that could be a fun room to watch. That's a good call. I'll throw out the New England Patriots. Uh, Ramondre Stevenson, I think, is one of the top 10 best backs in the league. Um, and I think based on their depth chart, he's probably going to – he has a chance to lead the league in touches this year. Yeah. If not, be top five for sure. Um, you're welcome, by the way. I gave him to you in our Dynasty League. Yeah, you did. That trade looks very profitable for you at this point. Um, <laughs> Pierre Strong Jr., a wild card there. That dude has some legit wheels. If uh, he could be a really good compliment to Stevenson, who's kind of a bigger, bigger, more powerful runner, running style. But yeah, I think they got those two got a chance to to climb the rankings a little bit here. So yeah. All right, let's get out of here, Steve. Let's do it. Data tool launching soon. We we were famous yesterday, Steve, because the the fantasy points promo for the data tool is is me yeah. going on a little rant. And, that was that was awesome. I love that video. Yeah, shout out to uh, shout out to our social guy Trey. He's, yeah, he's Trey, been he's been awesome since he's come in. He did, he's uh, a behind, he's behind the scenes guy, but man, he's really yeah. I like I like what he's doing out here for sure. I mean, he's scheduling player interviews, and I can't I can't I can't tell you names yet, but I'll say that a very heavily scrutinized draft pick from this year's first round that I may or may not have gone on several rants about is going to be on the show Friday with Joe Dolan. So yeah, um, I don't know when that gets uploaded. So maybe not uploaded Friday, but uploaded soon. Definitely check that out. <laughs> That's going to be yeah, good. Absolutely. Trey's the man. Trey's, Trey's got things moving here behind the scenes at fantasy points, which is absolutely. cool. Cause I, I got to the point where I realized like I can't, I can't do everything, Steve. You tried. I tried. I tried. Um, but you know, I can only I can only take everyone so far. I can only carry so long. <laughs> so we needed we needed to get guys in here that uh, can get stuff moving. Exactly. Uh, our content is so good, you know. It is. It is. But we just need we need some behind the scenes peeps to just make it make it pop, and uh, that's that, that's exactly what's happening right now. So shout out to Trey. If you haven't seen the teaser trailer, it was tweeted from Fantasy Points account last night or yesterday afternoon. I retweeted it. Steve retweeted it. You can go find it. But it's pretty hilarious, and it's me um, ripping on Scott Barrett. So that makes it even better. All right. Is, are we good? Did we cover We're everything? good. All yeah, right. I think we nailed it. Here. I'm Brett Whitefield. This is Stephen O'Rourke, and we are out. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Fantasy Points Podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite platform. And come join the roster at FantasyPoints.com.